So tonight we're introducing the topic of disability, thinking about how we as individuals and as the church can best care for and include disabled people. First, we'll look at a couple of models of of disability, different ways that disability is thought about and handled. A couple of these ways come from the world, and one of them is grounded in what the Bible says. I'll introduce those for us, and then after that, Karen, our disability coordinator, will take us through what's on our sheets Hopefully you've got sight of one of these double-sided sheets. Uh, If not, we can always, when the time comes, pass them around and you may have to share one between two or three. Um, But don't worry about that right now. And don't worry about if it sounds a lot this evening, we will have some time to chat amongst ourselves and take those mental breaks for questions and a slot for feedback at the end. So don't worry about that. But let's start with a definition and then a few statistics to help put this topic into perspective. What does disability mean? Well, according to the Equality Act 2010, you are disabled if you have a physical or mental impairment that has a substantial and long-term negative effect on your ability to do normal daily activities. It's important to note within that that not all disabilities are visible. Many people have non-visible disabilities. Here's a few examples on the screen of each different type. Statistically, there are 14.1 million disabled people in the UK. That's a lot. Within that larger figure, we could break it down into rough age groups. 8% of children are considered disabled. 19% of working age adults are disabled, which is nearly 20%, nearly one in five. And 46% of pension age people are disabled. That means that when we or uh, the people we love reach disability age, I mean retirement age, um, uh, what's the word, Freudian slip, Uh, we or someone we know will become disabled if we aren't now. Within all that, noting those statistics, it's also sobering but helpful for us to know that one in three disabled people say they face a lot of prejudice. And 87% of the parents of disabled children say they felt judged by those around them. So with statistics like that, it's helpful for us as a whole church to be thinking about the topic of disability. And this brings us on to the models of disability. And there's three models in particular which we've given names, but don't hang everything on the names. We've got the medical model, the social model, and what we might call a biblical model of disability. The medical model focuses on disability and disabled people as what you might call a medical problem. It often defines people using limiting language. People are confined or they can't cope. And it focuses on what people can't do. 
such as walk, hear, see, how much they can understand, rather than on what they can do. It says what they need, they need, is something that I give them. This model has been criticised by the disability movement for disempowering disabled people and removing individuality. Translating this model into the church, it can come through in perhaps sometimes a well-meaning but overstrong focus on urging healing upon people when they don't necessarily want it, when they haven't requested it. Another popular model is the social model. That says that the problem isn't with disabled people themselves, but with the barriers created by society. Barriers can be physical, like buildings, not having ramps into into them like churches, or not having accessible toilets. But barriers can also be caused by people's attitudes to difference, like assuming that because someone is disabled, they can't do certain things. It says that removing these barriers creates equality and offers disabled people more independence, choice, and control. There's lots good here. At its extremes, though, it can deny that medical issues are present, and in the church can lead to a theological position that sees disabled people as only sinless victims, which puts them in a different category to everyone else. Whereas the Bible says we are all of us sinners in need of salvation. But before we get on to that biblical model, what we see in the midst of these two models, these two models from the world, the medical and the social, is that society is wrestling with the underlying idea of what value there is in a human life. There is a perspective we will all recognize that says if you don't contribute productively to society, you have lesser value to it. We see that in the newspapers all the time, don't we? The idea of people as burdens, as a cost, for example, to the NHS to the emotional lives of others. There's nothing new in that approach. We see it in the late Victorian era, the spread of social Darwinism. We see in well-known figures like George Bernard Shaw, H.G. Wells, Bertrand Russell, and many, many, many others, calls at the time for disabled people to be confined in asylums, segregated, even sterilized. If that rightly brings out a sense of horror in us, that way has not completely been left behind. The Abortion Act 1967, still in force, effectively puts disabled unborn in a separate category from non-disabled unborn. It states that abortions are legal right beyond the um, theoretical limit of 24 weeks, right through pregnancy, if, and I quote, there is a substantial risk that if the child were born, it would suffer such physical or mental abnormalities as to be seriously handicapped. In practice, 
Those serious handicaps include things like cleft lips, club foots, and Down's syndrome. In 2015, Richard Dawkins was asked on Twitter how people should respond to finding out that their baby or fetus in the womb had Down's syndrome. He said, abort it and try again. It would be immoral, immoral to bring it into the world if you have a choice. That isn't just Richard Dawkins, by the way. Grumpy old Richard Dawkins, of course, he's going to say something offensive. No, it's a, it's a common view. Only yesterday my wife read something in the news about a parent who had done just that. It happens all the time. She would have kept the baby. She was looking forward to having a baby, but when she found out that that baby had Down syndrome, she had it aborted. But how does all that compare with what the Bible has to say, what we might call the biblical model. Because we are, after all, thinking about how Christians can expect to be different. That's what our series is all about. The model that the Bible gives us starts right at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, where we see that all human beings have inherent equality of value simply by virtue of all being created in the image of God. We see that that is at the absolute core of the value of a human being. We are all equally created by God in God's image. And that gives all of us an equal value. At the same time, though, Genesis 3 tells us that we are all sinners. That's why we have confession. We're all equally part of a human race that is fallen and in need of salvation. But the good news is that the New Testament shows us salvation comes through Jesus. Jesus comes into the world, lives and dies and rises again, so that all who trust in him might be brought into his new kingdom, sin forgiven, relationship with God restored. But it's also worth us seeing some of the descriptions the Bible uses for what that looks like. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus uses the parable of a man preparing a great banquet to describe what this kingdom will be like, this new life in Jesus. In the parable, those initially invited all reject the invitation one after another. And so the man preparing the banquet says, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. And who does he say to bring in? Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Jesus says the kingdom of God will be full of those that society does so often devalue, that society does so often marginalize, and ignore. That's who the kingdom is for. And in the letters of the New Testament with the epistles, we see how that's true of the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the church as a body in which every single part is needed. No one part can say to another, I don't need you. 
All parts of the body are called to be built up together as the body of Christ. And here's a quote. Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. How does that compare with some of the newspaper headlines we so often read? With the gospel, we are all equally full and necessary members of the body of Christ together. And we conclude with the new creation, the hope that all Christians have of a new creation together, where we will all be unique, yet we will all be equally perfected and sinless. What would it be like for us to think of each other now as what we will be then? C.S. Lewis has a quote that doesn't completely fit the scenario we're thinking about, but I think is helpful for us. He says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to, hope for me, may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat but it is to immortals who we joke with, work with, marry, snub and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Every human life, every human life is a possible god or goddesses, is someone who is remarkable, made to be something that would blow our minds if we saw them now. That's quite a lot to think about. As promised, why don't we take a few minutes now, two questions for you to chat with a neighbour about, a chance for you just to catch your breath. Have you thought about this much before? Where do you think society is at? Or perhaps if you're willing to go there, where would you say you're at in terms of these options? Maybe you've not thought about it before. Maybe you have. Maybe you disagree with everything I've said. Why don't you just take a couple of minutes now to chat together? <laughs> um, thanks for chatting together. Now let's come back together. And this is the point where it will be really handy to have access to one of these. So if you can't see one, please can you raise your hand? And if there's somewhere where people have got too many, would it be possible to sort of share and just pass a few down? Sorry, we should have printed some more off. So I think there's maybe a few. If you're sort of near the front and you've got a plentiful supply, thank you very much. Thank you. Living through this scarcity of of not having enough pieces of paper. Thank you. The good news is uh, Karen is now going to come up, so you're not going to hear any more of me. Um, And Karen is, well, Karen can introduce herself. Hi everyone, Um, I'm Karen if we haven't met yet Um, and as Jack said I have the role of disability coordinator at PLAT. 
Um, so there are two aspects to this. Firstly, raising awareness of disability, like this service, so that Platt might be a place where people with disabilities and additional needs feel welcome and are able to belong and contribute to church life. And secondly, I'm here to listen to disabled people in the congregation and their friends and families about the challenges that they face accessing Platt services and other groups so that we can see together if anything can be done to help. So do come and chat with me at the end if there's anything that comes up from this service or anything related to disability support that you'd like to follow up with me. And if you need to leave promptly at the end, then do pick up one of these yellow cards, uh, which has got my email address on the back, so you can always email me. So, Jack has helped us look at some disability models as framework, and I'm now going to help us think through where we personally are at in our disability journey and awareness. Hopefully, as Jack said, you've now got, you can now see one of these handouts. Um, and basically, I'm going to take you through the two sides with a chance for a bit of chat together in between each side, so to speak. So if you want to start with the side that says not knowing on it, that's where we're going to start. So this might be where you are at. You don't, know, you don't know well anyone with a disability and don't know much about disability, and so it doesn't impact your life. You might not be able to see how a severely disabled person has any worth or meaning or purpose. You might feel uncomfortable at the idea of talking to someone with a disability. You might just not have given disability much thought. And this is where I was until my late 20s. I hadn't come across anyone that I knew well in my family or work or friends or school with disability. And so my life was unaffected by disability. So I hadn't given it much thought. And that all changed in my late 20s when I gave birth to my first child, Emma, who has Down syndrome. So during her childhood, I learned quite a lot about Down syndrome, but not about other disabilities. So if you haven't had any personal experience of disability, then maybe you're at the not knowing stage. Or moving on to the second section, maybe you are aware of those in your community with a disability and the effort it is for them and their family to get anywhere and just to do life. And you feel sorry for them. Maybe you're grateful that your family are not disabled and that you can help others. The problem with that is that we're seeing disabled people as less than the able norm. Then we move on to the next section on the handout. Maybe you do know a disabled person or a family with a disabled person. You understand from Genesis 1 that disabled people were created in God's image. You notice that they may seem to have less or be able to do less, but you're pleased to be able to help them out. You care about them. That's good. You're showing compassion, just as Jesus did. But Jesus did more than this. He got into relationship with disabled people. When my daughter Emma became an adult, we went along to a group for adults with learning disabilities. And there I got to know, there I got to know people with disabilities other than Down syndrome. Since then, she's moved into a large community for adults with learning disabilities, and I've met more disabled people. Some disabled people I know very well and, and, and well enough to call my friends. 
but you might not have had that opportunity yet. But every person, including every disabled person, has a need for friends, has a need for community to belong to. When we see beyond the disability to a person who can enrich my life and your life, just as I can enrich and we can enrich theirs, we choose to spend time together, then we have friendship. And our final section on the handout is where I might help a disabled person to share the gifts that God has given them, but they might also encourage me in the way that I serve and in the way that I live my Christian life. So we are serving together. I have a lot to learn about disability. But I do know that all disabled people have something to share with us, whether it's their interests, how they do life, or their faith. We can all give and we can all receive. We can all support each other. So now a bit of a time for you guys to chat to someone near you for a few minutes about either or both of the questions that were going to come up on the slide, hopefully. <laughs> so there's the question, which is, what do you think of these stages? And then maybe the slightly more demanding question, which is, where do you think you are at personally and why that might be? So have a chat. Hi, everyone. I hope that's got you thinking. Um, so if, if, you've, uh, if you've got access to a handout and you want to take it away at the end to do a little bit more thinking yourself, then, uh, then do. Um, so we've been thinking a little bit about our personal attitude. So now we're going to think a little bit more about the church's attitude to those with a disability. So on the slide, we've got the four models of inclusion, but it's on the other side of your handout, exactly the same. So do look at the screen or look at the handout, whichever is easiest for you. So I'm just going to talk through the four uh, quadrants on the slide. So top left, we've got exclusion. So the circle with the red and the blue people in it represents people in the church. And I do apologize to anyone here who might be colorblind because you might find this quite tricky, but I do apologize for that. Around the outside of that circle are disabled people who are excluded, either because of physical things, maybe there's no loops, so they can't hear, there's no ramps, so they can't get in, there's no accessible toilet, um, or maybe because of the attitudes of people in the church. Maybe they don't feel welcome, maybe they've actually been asked to leave because maybe there's somebody in their family who can't sit still or makes... Uh, noises when other people are quiet and that's disturbing everything else that's going on. There may be many, many reasons why disabled people feel excluded from church. Unfortunately, we can't ask them why they're not in church because they're not here. <laughs> uh, top right, so if we move across, top right we've got segregation. So this is where church for disabled people is always separate from other church activities. So disabled people can't access the services and groups that other members of the church can. And then if we go to bottom left, we've got integration. So disabled people are welcome within the existing services and groups, but they, with the emphasis on the they, need to be able to adapt and fit in with what's happening already. And then bottom left, we've got inclusion, sometimes called accessible church. 
This is where church buildings and services and groups and people's attitudes are changed to welcome those with disabilities as full-serving members of the church family, participating in worship equally. And appropriate adjustments are made to the environment, to the services, and all other aspects of church life. Support is provided where needed so that disabled people can share their gifts. So we've been through the four, the four different um, models of church. So another chance for you to chat. Um, so have a look at the question that will come up on the slide. So thinking particularly of your own experiences at Platt, where do you think we're at at Platt? Or if you're not familiar with Platt, maybe you're visiting, or maybe uh, you've not been coming here very long. Maybe think about, and so you don't know what we do here, so think about maybe another church that you've been part of and you know, you know what's going on there. Also think about not just Sunday services, but the midweek groups that might be going on, um, because some may be more or less accessible than others. So... Let's have a few minutes to chat and then there'll be an opportunity. Jack is going to run around with the microphone and um, there'll be an opportunity for some feedback or some comments. Go ahead. Hi, everyone. I hope you've had some uh, interesting discussions. I don't know whether anybody's got any comments from uh, the, different, the four different um, models of church and disability and... Um, where you think Platt might be at, or just general comments about stuff. Let Dad run. <laughs> Hazel just whispered to me, she said, don't be too controversial. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just working on it. Uh, uh, I would say make two uh, observations. One is Platt is a highly professionalized church. People don't preach unless they're pretty good at it. People don't do music unless they're pretty good at it. Uh, and uh, so, um, yeah, and people aren't house group leaders or whatever unless they're firm Christians, all those things. And uh, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just observing that that is something that cuts across this dialogue. Uh, and secondly, uh, Hazel observed, actually, that it's probably easier to integrate people with physical disabilities into a church like Platt than it is people with intellectual or uh, disabilities. Just, yeah. you know, no judgment on it, just yeah. saying that's how yeah. it is. Yeah, thank you, Philip. Yeah, some really good comments there. If it's any consolation, Rosie also said, what are you going to say? So uh, there you go. Um, no, we, we had a really helpful conversation as a group. We talked about how at different points, Platt can fit into three out of four of those different models. Um, so for example, with segregation, um, we've got our, like, our prospects group, which I think is is, is important kind of group and, and space to have. It's kind of the, the midweek group, the kind of SBS or kids group equivalent. And, and then sometimes we have kind of um, uh, like inclusion, so um, we talked about how, you know, where we have signing at the front, and that means kind of everyone gets involved with that, and people with additional needs can get involved with that as well. And then sometimes we have integration as well. I can't think of an example, but we do sometimes. Um, 
Yeah, that's what. That's all I've got to say. Yeah, I, I, I think I think that's I think that's a really good point. Um, so there's a there's a very small there's a small group of us who look at disability awareness, and we have a, a monthly meeting over Zoom, and that comment was made in that meeting that there were. The, uh, you know, somebody identified that there were three, three of those four models were covered by different groups, uh, different activities that, that go on here at Platt. Hello. Hi. Um, so I think for, and kind of come back on Zach's point about the integration bit, maybe with like noise levels in the breakout space, if things are too noisy, you just have to deal with it. If you've got like um, quite sensitive to noise and that sort of things, so people might have to just deal and cope with that situation. Um, there's not other options in that regard. Um, in terms of, I think, in uh, how people feel outside this building, in terms of how we do church life together, are we inviting people out on walks with people who have additional learning needs or physical disabilities? Is, are we a community thinking about that? I think that's something that maybe we need to consider more. Um, it's not just when we're meeting in this building that we are church family together um, and how we think about Platt as a church family outside these multiple walls um, is something to consider. Yeah, I think, I, think that's, I think that's a good comment. I mean, you know, one of, the, one of the things that, you know, we have done a few things within the building to increase accessibility for uh, certain people. But, you know, if we make a change for one person, it actually might benefit several people who haven't actually said, oh, if you did this, it would really make just my life so much easier. Um, so, you know, being church family is accommodating everybody in the family, just like you would in a sort of, you know, uh, your own family. If somebody had a particular need, you would make adjustments for that person in your family. So the same in our church family. If, you know, if there are people in our church family and, and it would make their life easier if only we did something or did it in a slightly different way, then we want to accommodate them because, you know, we're welcome. They're all part of our family together. I've been kind of musing over whether we haven't got people in the church, part of the church family, who are profoundly deaf because we haven't got anybody who, can, who is able to use British Sign Language so that they could follow a full sermon, mm. or have we not got somebody who can do a BSL because we haven't got people who are profoundly deaf? And I think that's, that's quite a tricky one. If there was somebody who was profoundly deaf from birth who had learned BSL, how could we find somebody who could do that throughout the sermon so they can be included? I don't really know the answer to that, and I'm not sure what, whether, you know, as I say, have, we, have people who are profoundly deaf just stayed away from church because they can't follow, or is it the case that we haven't had somebody who can do a BSL because we haven't identified somebody who is profoundly deaf? I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. I know there is a deaf church, um, where it, you know, it, it's all signed, so I don't know whether, whether people go there or whether people have come to Platt and thought, well, I can't, I, I can't access what's going on here, and so have left again. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, 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 a segregation, yeah, deaf church. Should we say last one? Yeah. Thank you, Tan.
Um, I guess, just to pick up on the segregation one, I think it's it's not a bad thing that we have a prospects group that does its own thing and, and you know, provides for many people, not just from this church, but other churches who, who you know, just do need extra care and, and, and provision. It's not... But I guess, on, to pick up my dad's point on, like, professionalism, you've got, like... Um, you know, it, the whole idea of it being countercultural is that if you, you know, say it's the cowl service and someone wants to do a reading who um, isn't going to read quote-unquote as well as someone who's more gifted or wants to sing a solo who isn't going to be do it as well as quote-unquote someone who's more gifted, you know, you, you, what you're doing is you're inviting, you know, some sort of you know, ridicule to the church by saying, well, he, you know, why did they get invite so-and-so to do it when he didn't do it very well? But I guess if you're going to try to go for inclusion, you have to accept that sort of cost of saying, yes, the service may not be to the, the visitor as you know, slick and smooth and, and sort of um, outwardly um, uh, impressive, but you gain something by doing that. Yes, I agree with all of that. <laughs> I think that is a, a challenge for a, a church like Platt. We do church very well, um, but is it as inclusive as it could be? Whereas actually, if we had more people with disabilities um, taking part, then maybe other people with disabilities would come in. Who knows? Thanks so much, Karen. Lots for us to think about, to take away. We're hopefully going to have a second session on this on the 12th of November. Your feedback is very helpful. Do please take Karen up on her offer of emailing her or after the service, do go and grab her. And I would just reiterate, please do grab Karen rather than me because she's just got lots of wisdom on this and has thought a lot more about it. By all means, come and chat to me, obviously. Um, but I may then refer you to Karen. Um, but... As we come to the end of this section, why not let's just pray together for a minute and then we will move smoothly into the notices. Let's just pray together for a minute on that. Father, there's lots for us to think about tonight. We thank you so much um, for the joy of being your people all together, that we are all made in your image, that we are all loved by you, uh, forgiven and brought into your people by you. We pray that you would be helping us to, to, as we go out, to chew over these things more, to think about ourselves and our own lives and us as a church. Would you help us to be thankful for the ways in which we, and as a church, are, are living that and help us to be challenged if that's what we need to be, both as individuals and as a church, as we think this stuff through. But we pray you would be building us up and making us more like you call us to be as we uh, think these things through. And we thank you so much for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.